Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hello and welcome to Earth Destruction Directive, Episode 2. I'm your host, as always, Luke Giaconetti. First off, I want to give a big thank you to everyone who stuck through me through all that ridiculousness as far as getting the audio to sound correct for the first episode. I don't really know what the deal with Potomatic was, but it's irrelevant now because I've got a new uh, host for the audio files as you have seen on the blog page, which is now the official home of the podcast, earthdestructiondirective.blogspot.com. We are now going through uh, archive.org. Uh, I did some research online for ways to podcast for free, and this kept coming up that you could upload files into archive.org, and files sounds exactly the way I recorded it. So in that sense, I'm very happy. So far, they've seemed to be working out, so we're going to run with that. Uh, this episode, we are going to be watching 1964's Ghidorah, the Three-Headed Monster. Uh, classic, if there ever was one, featuring uh, some of the real, most popular old guard of the Toho monsters. Uh, we will get into that in a moment. Uh, just wanted to bring the intro in here. We're going to take a quick break, and then we are going to get into the movie. Be right back. The brainwaves of your cynical thoughts have gone up there to those ships. Did you say brainwaves? Mm-hmm. Oh, now, really? There's no such thing as brainwaves. Look, young lady, there's a lot you have to learn about many things besides brainwaves. Strange and terrible things. Hello, everyone. Luke here. As this episode of Earth Destruction Directive was in post-production, the magnitude 8.9 earthquake struck Japan, and the earthquake and the resulting tsunami, of course, have been a major catastrophe, and uh, I would be remiss as the creator of a podcast based on Japanese giant monster culture uh, not to just mention that you know, my thoughts and prayers are with the afflicted people of Japan, and that uh, I hope that they can get uh, rescue as many survivors as they can and get themselves back on their feet. Uh, I know that they will. The Japanese people are resilient and they are a staunch ally of the United States, and I support them. So, Japan, you've got my best. Let's rebuild it better than ever. Now we'll get on to the episode. Okay, we are back here on Earth Destruction Directive, Episode 2. And our topic today is the film Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster from 1964. Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster is directed by legendary Japanese tokusatsu director Ishiro Honda, with special effects by the father of Japanese special effects, Eji Sabura. Let's do the monster roll call. Up first, we have Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Godzilla shows up with his atomic breath in tow, fresh off his appearance earlier in the year in Mothra vs. Godzilla. Similarly, we also have Mothra, making his first appearance from earlier in the year. This is Mothra appearing as a caterpillar form, there's only one of them this time out, despite the fact that there were in fact two baby Mothras at the end of Mothra vs. Godzilla. 
Also on the roster is Rodan, the Flying Monster. This is Rodan's second screen appearance, his first since his uh, titular debut eight years earlier. And finally, last but certainly not least, making his debut is the King of Terror himself, King Ghidorah, in all of his three-headed, two-tailed, lightning-spitting glory. Our story starts out involving the small Himalayan country of Felgina, which is so small that you won't find it on a map, I might add. But the princess of Selgina, whose name is Salno, she's getting ready to take the crown, but there's a faction who's implied to be communists who don't want her to uh, take the throne. So while she is on her way to Japan for some international discussions, her plane is sabotaged and explodes. And the plane is sabotaged by a man named Malness. And Malness will be our villain of the piece. And I'd like to point this out, that there is an incredibly awesome scene early on in this film where we see... Malness um, wearing a frock and a collar that Shakespeare would wear, and it is absolutely hilarious. And even as a kid, I thought this was hilarious. I will definitely put a picture of this up in the show notes. It's really worth looking at. Meanwhile, in Japan, there's a heat wave going on in the middle of the winter, and there's a lot of paranoia and, and confusion, and several scientists believe that, that we're going to be visited by aliens who will be able to help us with what's coming in the future, and help us with the heat wave, and generally be of benefit to mankind. And nothing really ever comes of this. I think a lot of this was kind of lost in the translation, but it's also the mid-60s, so you kind of just roll with it. Soon after that, Selgina's yeah, soon after Salno's plane, I should say, explodes, she turns up again as a prophetess, claiming to be from Mars, predicting a great disaster to come over the Earth, including the return of various monsters and just general bad stuff. And she is tracked down by a brother and sister. First, the brother, whose name is Shindo, he's a policeman, and he was originally assigned to escort Salno when she was coming to Japan, but obviously never got the chance because her plane blew up. And independent of that, his sister Naoko, who is a reporter, who actually tracks down Salno long before Shindo gets anywhere near her. Um, she is one of the best of the uh, Toho heroines. She's on the ball the entire time. She takes care of herself. She's smart, you know, much better than some of the other girls we'd get in the series. But um, she's she's a good one. While this is going on, a large meteor falls to Earth and lands in a mountain range in Japan. And Professor Murai, who is a friend of Naoko, but she insists they're not dating, him and his team go into the mountains to investigate. And this meteor is very odd, because first off, it's got a very strong magnetic field around it, to the point that compasses point towards it, and it drags other metal objects across the ground to it. But it also grows in size. One, one guy says, how can it do that? It's not a balloon. But sure enough, it does. We'll come back to this in a bit. Salno has been making her rounds around Japan, making her prophecies of doom. And one of her prophecies is the return of both the monsters Rodan who breaks free from his volcanic tomb that he was put in at the end of the earlier film, and Godzilla, who rises from the sea to destroy a pleasure ship that the uh, prophetess had said uh, should not sail. And they're soon set on a collision course with each other. Meanwhile, Mothra's twin fairies are in Japan for, believe it or not, a TV appearance. Again, this was the 60s. And they 
here, uh, Salno give the prophecy about the ship and end up getting off of the very same ship. And then they uh, say they will talk to Mothra in case the world is attacked by monsters. Well, of course, uh, that seems to be the case, as this is a Toho movie. Back at the, at the meteor site, the meteor itself has grown quite large and has a huge media, uh, excuse me, magnetic storm around it. And finally, it cracks open. And up in the sky above it, a giant fireball grows. And it morphs and forms into the shape of King Ghidorah himself, cackling in all his glory. Salno, as the, as the Martian prophetess, had been giving prophecies about King Ghidorah saying that he was a monster that destroyed the far-advanced Martian society in about a month, and that he's destined to do the same to Earth. So, King Ghidorah does what King Ghidorah typically does. He makes landfall in Japan and starts destroying everything around him. He sends his gravity beams, which are the lightning-like uh, beam weapons that he shoots, everywhere, just fills the screen up, destroying them. And, you know, it, it, they're very well animated, very well done. You can tell that this kind of um, no-holds-barred, straight-ahead, evil-for-the-sake-of-evil-planet-eater type badass. That's why King Ghidorah became as popular as a bad guy as he, as he is. Uh, the Japanese Self-Defense Ministry doesn't really know what to do. A plan is hatched where the Twin Fairies will call to Mothra, and then Mothra will speak to Godzilla and Rodan and convince them to stop brawling with one another long enough to help them defeat King Ghidorah and save the Earth. And that's basically our story. I really like this film. Uh, this has been a favorite of mine since I was a kid. Uh, it's colorful. It's fun. It's fast-paced. I mean, there's a real economy of time here. Salno's plane blows up at about seven minutes into the movie, and that's with a full, like, minute-long, minute-and-a-half-long credit sequence. So there's not a whole lot of setup. There's not a whole lot of background. It's just go, go, go. You know, that was very typical of uh, uh, films of this era. And it, it plays very well here because you get right into the story and things get start moving along. The effects are kind of a mixed bag looking at it now in retrospect. The suitmation effects are fantastic. Godzilla, Rodan, King Eater, excuse me, all look great. Even the full-scale Mothra puppet looks good. I mean, the the caterpillar Mothra always looked good because it was a good effect and it's relatively easy to reproduce. King Eater looks fantastic in both his flying uh, full-scale puppet and his uh, regular suit. Uh, originally, they wanted the, him to be rainbow-colored, but it was a good decision not to do that and go with the gold. He really looks great. And this, uh, I mean, he, his look would not really change all that greatly from how he appears here until, f we're talking Final Wars in 2004. Even the Showa era, or excuse me, even the Hesai era King Ghidorah was not that radically different from his Showa era counterpart. Godzilla looks good. It's a different head than he wore in the earlier film in 64, but otherwise the suit looks pretty close. He does have some human elements in the script. At one point he sits down on a rock, um, which looks very human, and it's kind of out of place, but at the same time, since Godzilla really embraces the role of hero in this film, it, it fits, and you can allow more humanistic um, behavior out of it. Uh, his uh, atomic breath looks really good. Rotoscoping is very nice on that. Uh, we're getting away from the mist for the most part. The misty sort of look that the, that the breath weapon had in the earliest films does appear a little bit during the fight with Rodan. And speaking of Rodan, the Rodan suit is interesting because it's pretty, pretty wildly different from his original suit. Um, it's got a smaller head. 
uh, more prominent spines on the chest, uh, heavier-looking wings, um, but it smaller beak. That's the other main thing, and more forward, uh, more forward-facing eyes. It's not a bad suit. This is the suit that most people, when they think of Rodan, think of because this one would appear several more times in the Showa era, and I like it a lot. It's, it's a good suit. It just, it just looks a little different if you've just watched Rodan. See, as a kid, I had this one on tape before Rodan. So to me, the Rodan suit was the one that looked a little odd, whereas this one was the normal Rodan. I should mention the puppetry effects. There's an extended fight between Godzilla and Rodan throughout the Japanese countryside that uses a lot of hand puppets. And it's about as silly as it sounds. As a kid, this never bothered me. I didn't even give it a second thought. Looking at it now, it's like, oh, it can kind of stand out, whereas you wish they had just done the suits. Because from a narrative standpoint, the fight between these two is excellent. They just go at it. Uh, when Godzilla first appears, he um, climbs up out of the sea. Actually, there's a deleted scene in the Japanese version where he does, in fact, clamber up the dock out of the water, which apparently just doesn't look very convincing, so it was cut. But he starts stomping around, and he then you hear the supersonic wail uh, that is Rodan's flight signature. And Godzilla just looks up, and he is transfixed by seeing Rodan in the sky. He just stares at him. And they, he immediately seeks him out, and, and they just brawl for a good portion of the second act. It's very interesting to me to see this, because this was the first time they ever appeared on screen together, and immediately they're drawn to each other as if they know that they're the two most powerful Earth monsters and they've got to fight each other. Uh, not only um, you know, is this cool from this standpoint, but I think this shapes a lot of fans' opinions about the relationship between Godzilla and Rodan as natural rivals who find themselves having to work together to fight space monsters every couple of years. But, you know, behind the... I must say, to give all due credit, there is one scene of, the, of puppet effects that is actually really well done. And at one point during the fight, Rodan grabs Godzilla kind of by the shoulders with his, with his feet and flaps up and carries him up in the air. Well, the puppet, the small-scale puppet, has a much deeper wing flap than the full-scale flight puppet. So it looks like he is really struggling to pick up the big, massive weight that is Godzilla. It's like flap, flap, flap. And that's real effective because we see that at a long composite shot where we've got some people in the foreground and we see Rodan struggling to lift up uh, Godzilla in the background. Really a, a nice, effective shot. There's some real uh, kind of classic bits that appear in this film. Uh, the one that sticks out most to me is the monster conversation. Uh, when, when I said that the uh, twin fairies want Mothra to talk to Godzilla and Rodan, I meant that literally. Uh, they're in the middle of fighting, and Mothra shows up, shoots some silk at them, and then talks to them. Uh, now, this isn't like Godzilla vs. Gigan, where we hear the voices, or in the Japanese one, see the word balloons. Yeah, more on that when we talk about Godzilla vs. Gigan on a later episode. In this case, the twin fairies translate the conversation that the monsters are having. And we get some good insight into the monsters, actually, because, you know, neither Godzilla nor, or, nor Rodan care about man, because mankind hates them. And they don't particularly care if the Earth is destroyed, Rodan says, if the Earth is destroyed, I'll simply fly away, which pretty good logic from Rodan there, if you think about it. And then at one point, Godzilla uh, says something, and the twin fairies say, oh, what terrible language. Uh, so it's up to the viewer to fill in the specifics of what exactly Goji is saying, but uh, I've always found that amusing. The big brawl at the end with King Ghidorah is kind of a classic. I 
loved this fight as a kid. Still dig it. It's just one of the best as far as I'm concerned. It really uses everybody's abilities very well. Uh, there's also some interesting um, uh, shots that kind of always have stuck with me. The first is when when the fight begins, it's first it's just Mothra fighting King Ghidorah, and Ghidorah blasts Mothra all over the place, and then Godzilla and Rodan join in shortly after that. Um, and so at one point, Godzilla offers Mothra his tail as like a toe, and he toes him back up the hill so they can get back into the fight. And I thought that was funny. Meanwhile, that's going on, actually. Rodan and King Ghidorah are engaged on the top of the hill, and Rodan is a lot faster flyer than King Ghidorah is. So Rodan's flying, and King Ghidorah is chasing him, and Rodan does a full 180 in the air and rams King Ghidorah at top speed. And the two come crashing down. Well, King Gator is a little bit more durable, so he ends up not really being all that affected. But uh, seeing Rodan do a quick uh, turnaround in the air was always nice. And, of course, the one most famous of all is towards the end of the fight when Mothra claw, uh, crawls onto Rodan's back, and then Rodan flies around while Mothra shoots the silk at uh, King Ghidorah. This has been immortalized in toys and models. There's a little super deformed um, cab, Japanese capsule or candy toy of this that I've always wanted because it's just so cute with little Mothra sitting on Rodan's back. Another classic bit is the birth of Ghidorah, uh, rising as a fireball out of the meteor and then uh, slowly taking shape. We we would see this again in Destroy in Destroy All Monsters, excuse me, and we would see a reference to this later in Godzilla vs. Gigan, very memorable for the birth of Ghidorah on Earth. Overall, I really like this movie. I think it's it's fun, it's fast-paced. Uh, the plot, it's not like some of the earlier ones, including Mothra vs. Godzilla, where the human plot kind of directly drives the monster plot. In this one, the two plots operate kind of in parallel, and occasionally they cross over. Like, there's a scene where... Um, the princess is under is under is going to go under electroshock therapy and malness um, sabotages the electroshock machine so that it'll kill her. But right before the machine is turned on, Godzilla gets dropped on a nuclear on a nuclear oh my gosh on a uh, electrical transformer and knocks out the power. It's that kind of stuff. And of course, uh, Malness, who spends the entire film unsuccessfully trying to kill Salno. You really feel for the guy because he is really putting in a hard day's work here. So whatever he's getting paid, it needs to be doubled. But at the end, when he finally has her in the crosshairs and he is going to shoot her and nobody can stop him, the monsters fighting above on the hill cause a rock slide, which falls down and crushes and kills him. So it's like, while you know the princess says that Shindo saved her life, really, King Ghidorah kind of inadvertently saved her life there, but... I don't think the King of Terror will, will take credit for it. Malnus is just a great villain in general. He's, he's got a gang of really kind of suspect-looking 60s thugs as his, as his uh, henchmen, and he himself is just a cool, collected, you know, assassin. I, I like Malnus a lot, the, the big frock and collar thing notwithstanding. He also has the line of, yes, excellency, which has always amused me because I always thought if I needed a title, excellency would be what I would take. Uh, complaints, like I said, the puppet effects don't really hold up so good. Looking at it now, it's pretty plain that they're puppets, and you, you know, like I said, it, it, you wish they'd use the suits, but, um, 
uh, it's hard to say. Watching it through your adult eyes, you know, that bothers you. Watching it through your kids' eyes, though, if you know, watching it either as a kid or with your kids, I don't think that they'd even notice. To be completely honest, I think most people would, uh, or most kids, or would just, you know, be so enthralled with the monsters fighting that they would just go along with it. Um, other than that, there's not a whole lot of complaints. Some weird trivia. Uh, for a couple of times in this film, Rodan has the wrong roar. Um, he actually has Godzilla's roar for a couple of times, but it, it's quickly enough corrected. It's just funny to hear him come out and then he roars like Godzilla. It's like, wow, that volcano had more effect on him than you'd think. There's also a funny bit with um, when Rodan and, and Godzilla are arguing and Martha keeps shooting them with silk, where he shoots... Um, Godzilla with some silk, and then Rodan looks like he's laughing. He's flapping his wings and bobbing his head, and he's just laughing, and then he gets shot with silk himself, and this looks really indignant. Uh, another piece of trivia, this one's actually true for most of their appearances. The uh, Twin Fairies, played by the Peanuts, who was a twin singing duo, they sing in, an, in a South Pacific Island native language when they sing their song. It's not the classic Mothra song, it's one of the secondary ones, but Pretty much every time they'd show up in the Showa era and sing a song, they would sing in a native tongue rather than in Japanese. And this was done to sound more exotic even for the, uh, for the home viewers in Japan. And it, it sounds really good. Listening to it, if, if you've got a good, good ear for, for Japanese, you can tell that it's not Japanese, but uh, I didn't know that. It was number only. I found that out a couple, uh, well, more than a couple of years ago now. I'm dating myself. I found that out in the 90s from an uh, old Daikaiju fanzine that I used to read. I actually wrote a couple articles for called the Kaiju Review, and uh, I never knew that. Now I always notice it. You can't help but notice it. Also, at one point in the bar, uh, Shindo, Naoko, and Professor Murai all order a Blue Mountain. Now, I don't know what this drink is. Maybe somebody can help me out. Somebody want to send me in. What is a Blue Mountain, and is it something you would drink at lunchtime? Uh, that seems like something that might be more of a nightclub drink than a lunchtime drink, right? I don't know. Let me know on that, guys. In closing, I'd just like to say that if you haven't watched uh, Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, you really should give it a shot. It's a classic. I think it gets overshadowed somewhat fairly by the films that come around it, because Mothra vs. Godzilla is an excellent film, and the film after this, Monster Zero, is very similar in that it has a very similar monster cast, but it's a much more ambitious overall film, and, and I think it has a much better reputation than Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster. But that doesn't mean that this one's not worth watching. It very much is, and it's a lot of fun. If you have kids or you know nieces and nephews and just want a big monster mash, great, great time for that. It's nothing suspect, nothing questionable. This is the 60s. This was family-style entertainment, and it really holds up well. I think the effects, for the most part, hold up well, except for the puppets, and even those we're willing to work with because, you know, everybody likes puppets. Just ask Andre Toulon, and that's a callback to something you might hear on my other show. Anyway, uh, the film is available on DVD from Classic Media, uh, which is a um, subsidiary of Sony, they, the DVD is pretty neat because it's got the Japanese version and the English version, and there's really not much difference between the two. This is a rare case where uh, there wasn't even a whole lot of cuts made. Toho didn't even make a whole lot of cuts with their international version, which is the one that everybody knows as far as the English language version. It also is available for streaming on Netflix, which is how I watch this one. Um, because Actually, I still have the film on VHS. That's how old school I am. I haven't bought the new DVD yet. So you can check it out on Netflix, you can rent it from Netflix, you can go and pick it up and buy it. Uh, but in closing, I think this is a solid Daikaiju film. Uh, 
I think it's one of the better ones from the early part of the series. Is it the best one ever? No. Is it a worthy addition to the Godzilla mythos? Certainly. And it also introduces King Ghidorah. And how could you not like something that introduces King Ghidorah? So, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back to close out the show here on Earth Destruction Directive. I think it's a worthwhile discussion. 
Um, you know, the the film is the film is what it is. It has its good points. It has its bad points, just like any other film. I think the major problem that a lot of people had with the film was some of the liberties they took with the character and some of the ways that traditional Godzilla fans thought that uh, Zilla was not living up to the reputation of the original Godzilla. And, yeah, we'll talk about that film. And, um, you know, I haven't seen it in a number of years. I'd like to give it a fair shake. So uh, I think that is something that we can definitely do. Uh, later on down the pike. Scotty, thank you very much for writing. I really appreciate it. Remember, if you folks want to write in, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com, and I'll be sure to read your emails and reply to them here on the show. I love getting feedback. Even if you just want to tell me, hey, Luke, be quiet, you know, I'll probably read it on the on the show anyway. So that's how desperate I am for feedback here. All right. Next time, I am going to jump head headlong and whole hog into uh, a film that, like I said, was one of the one of the impetuses for beginning this podcast. And so next time, we are going to be talking about Godzilla 1985, also known in its native language as uh, Return of Godzilla. And this one's going to be a little bit harder for you folks to find. If you really want it, you can find a copy of it as uh, on eBay. I'm sure you can find a VHS of it on eBay or a uh, Hong Kong DVD if you swing that way. Um, I think if you look online, you might be able to find it. I understand that there's no feedback for this one because this is a film that, since the VHS release of Godzilla 1985, has not been available commercially in this country, and I I respect that and understand that. Uh, But like I said in the first episode, I have a copy of the Japanese DVD that I would really want to watch and I've really been wanting to watch. And so definitely going to throw this one on and, um, you know, give some thoughts and impressions on both the Japanese and American versions of, of the film. Okay. You can always find us on the Internet at earthdestructiondirective.blogspot.com. Never mind that Potomatic site because, as we discovered, Potomatic does not do good things to my podcast as far as audio quality. So if you go to earthdestructiondirective.blogspot.com, you will find not only the show notes for every episode, but you will also find a a player that allows you to play the episode and the link to directly download the MP3 for use on your personal music listening device of your choice. If you want to send us feedback, as I said, the address is earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. We welcome all complaints, all uh, complaints mostly. That's you know that's pretty much what I expect to get is complaints. That's uh, pretty par for the course as far as I'm concerned. At least it is with my blogs. Um, and if you have any questions, comments, missives, um, cease and desist letters, anything, just send them along, and we will disposition those here on the show. All right, going to wrap things up right now. Hope everybody enjoyed the show. Next time, uh, come on back. We're going to be talking about Godzilla 1985. Have a good one, everybody. Well, it's big and terrible. More frightening than I ever thought possible.